Thank you so much again to our young people for leading us in worship. Can we just show our thanks one more time for them? I also want to say thank you to Belva and Nancy and Michelle, all of the staff, all of the amazing volunteers. Thank you to John and Michael, Dr. T and Rufus. All of these folks did an amazing job pointing us to our uniqueness in God's eyes and reminding us that no matter what, Jesus loves us. So it was an amazing week up here. And on behalf of our children's ministry, we just want to thank God for each and every child here and the families they represent. About a month ago, my wife, Kara, asked me what I wanted for Father's Day, which was, of course, last Sunday, and for my birthday, which was on Monday. And so I said, I only want two things. Number one, I just want to be with my family. And we had a nice weekend together. And number two, the only thing I wanted was a fifth Spurs championship. That wasn't too much to ask. And another nice gift that they gave me was a nice little photo book that uh, Kara put together. And these are my favorite kinds of gifts because of the thought put into them and, and it's nice where you can't put a price tag on just looking through and seeing the nice messages and, and the photos and uh, holding on to those memories. Another gift that I got a couple of years ago was another photo book. And my twin brother Sam put this together. And it was photos from our family, photos growing up. And it was great because he had compiled all of these old photos in one place. And I enjoyed looking through that. He gave one to each of the siblings and to my parents. And I was especially drawn to some photos that I had never seen before. I think we might have a slide of one. It's a photo. Here's, here's my mom and dad. This was them on a date right after they got married. And I had never seen this before. And here's another one. Uh, here's me and my two brothers. This is before my little sister came along. But there's big brother Josh on the right, and then me and my twin brother Sam. I'm not sure which one of us is which, okay? I, I, think, I think I'm the one in the middle, okay? Uh, but there are some photos like this that I had never seen before. And I think, what a, what a great day that we live in where we're fortunate enough to be able to preserve photos and images. And I think, what what it must have been like for Jesus. You know, there were no albums that he could flip through to see what he looked like as a baby in the manger. There were no scrapbooks that uh, he could flip through to see him taking those first steps. There were no photo books to where he could see him sitting on his father's lap at Joseph's workbench. There were no selfies of Jesus at age 12 teaching the rabbis in the temple. Jesus had to rely on his parents to tell him those stories of his childhood and about ancestors from the past. 
But imagine for a moment if Jesus did have a photo album. Imagine him sitting there with his mother and the album is, is lying open between them. And they're looking at photos of long since gone relatives. And Jesus hears his mother tell those old familiar family stories. But they stop on a page of the album. Because this one section, this one large branch would have stood out on the family tree. One man in Jesus' lineage would have been highlighted among all the others, and that's King David. Imagine Mary saying to Jesus, this is your distant relative David. He lived 28 generations before you, but we still remember him as a great king and as a man after God's own heart. And as Jesus is looking through photos from David's life, he sees familiar ones that many of us would be able to recognize as well. And we could tell the stories behind some of these photos. Like the one of David tending the sheep as a shepherd boy. Or the one of David being chosen by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And we all remember the one of David with his sling back ready to throw the stone at Goliath. And the image of David being crowned king. But just like there were photos in my family album that I didn't recognize and that I had never seen before, you might see some snapshots of David during this six-week series on his life through the Psalms that perhaps you may, ne- you may never have seen before or maybe had not given much attention to before now. We'll see some images of David that would probably not be featured in the brag book, like the one of David pretending to be a madman which is the image that we're going to zoom in on today in Psalm 34. We'll see the dark photo of David hiding from King Saul in a cave. And that image of David where he almost let his temper get the best of him. We'll see the one of David when he is finally broken and he falls on his face in repentance because of his disobedience. And infidelity. And then the blurry photo of David running and fleeing the kingdom because his own son Absalom has taken over the throne. These weren't exactly proud moments in David's album and in his life. But we're going to see that these were necessary ones in the shaping and the forming of this man's heart for God. David wrote 70 or more of the Psalms, and we're going to look at six of the Psalms in the weeks ahead that clearly coincide with events from his life. But rather than just look at the stories themselves that you can find in in 1 and 2 Samuel, we thought that we could look at these stories through the lens of the Psalms to give us more than just the facts and the history but allow us to see more of David's heart. 
his heartaches, his struggles, his joy, his emotion, all of these things in this man's heart. And the emotion and the tension that we're going to see David struggling with this morning is fear. At VBS this week, one of the lessons we learned was, even when you are afraid, Jesus loves you. King David was afraid at times, and he lived with all kinds of fear from real dangers. And fear can be a powerful enemy. It can paralyze us to the point where we lose sight of God's promises. And fear can cloud our hope for the future. And sometimes fear leaves us struggling with doubt. But we're going to see this morning that faith is more powerful than fear. To give us a better perspective on our psalm this morning, Psalm 34, it would be helpful for us to go back a little bit in the album. To turn back a few pages, a few generations before David, to a time of great darkness and depravity, a time when the judges ruled. And it was probably about two years ago when Roger was preaching through Judges. And we just need to read that last verse in the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, to sum up what this period in history was all about. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But as we turn that dark pages of Judges, we see a light shining in the next book in your Bible, the book of Ruth. Ruth was this righteous woman who at the end of the book gives birth to David's grandfather. And then we turn the next page to 1 Samuel where we first meet David. 1 Samuel opens and we're still in that period of judges. It's the last judges, Samuel and his unrighteous sons. And Israel becomes fed up with this judges system of leadership. So they say to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, we want to be like everybody else. So find us a king. And Samuel says, okay, I'll find you a king, but be careful what you wish for. It may not be as great as you think it might be, having a king rule over you. So Samuel goes and he, he anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel. And Saul starts out okay, but it doesn't take long before we see in 1 Samuel 15 that Samuel says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. So God then tells Samuel, go and find another king. And Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, Ruth's grandson. And this is when we first meet David, an underdog from the very beginning. Samuel, Samuel pours oil on David's head, anoints him to be the king, the, as the king to be. And we see in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. And because the Lord is with David, he experiences this meteoric rise to the top. David defeats Goliath, the Philistine giant, 
Do you remember Goliath was from the city of Gath? Okay, remember that later. Goliath from Gath. We're going to come back to that. And David initially finds great favor with Saul. Saul says, you're going to be in charge of of my army. And everything is going well until one song changes everything. David returns home from battle. And Saul overhears the women of the city serenading Saul and David with this song of victory. And the song went like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Saul gets credit for taking down a thousand of his enemies, but in the eyes of the people, David is ten times better. And Saul hears that song and he becomes consumed with jealousy and insecurity and anger. And it says, from that day on, Saul looked upon David with suspicion. David had done nothing wrong. He had been loyal to Saul as as a son-in-law. But Saul becomes insanely jealous. And from that point forward... Saul treats David as his enemy. On three occasions in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, Saul tries to throw a spear at David, trying to pin him to the wall. David escapes each time, but he realizes it's now time to run for his life. And this is when landmines of fear begin to threaten David. David becomes uncertain of where to go and what to do. And that's often when fear creeps into our hearts, when we're unsure of our circumstances. And in 1 Samuel 21, David is running from Saul and he needs food and he needs a weapon. And so he goes to the town of Nob and he sees a priest there. And the priest is confused to see David because David's all by himself. And he's wondering, what's going on? And so he says, what are you doing here, David? You know, why aren't you with your men? Why aren't you with the army? And David responds by telling a little white lie out of fear. It may not seem like a big deal, but it begins this little pattern of dishonesty. Because he says to the priests, Saul sent me. Saul sent me on a little mission and no one else is to know about it. He didn't want anyone to know that he was there because word of that might get back to Saul, who is hunting David. And David says, I need some food. And the priest gives him some bread. And then David says, I need a sword. And the priest says, you know, it's kind of funny. It's kind of ironic that you should ask that because I do have a sword here. And it's the sword that belonged to Goliath, the guy that you took down. And David said, There's no sword like it. Give it to me. You see, God was still providing for David, even though David was making some compromises in his life. But these little compromises are about to catch up to David. David needed another hiding place, and he's not thinking straight. And so he reacts out of fear because he feels that he has nowhere else to turn. He can't go back to his best friend, Jonathan. He can't go back to his wife because she's Saul's daughter. He can't go back to his mentor, Samuel. 
So out of fear, he makes this knee-jerk reaction, and he walks right into the hands of the enemy. It reminds me of when I'm, I'm driving down the street, and I see a squirrel up ahead on the side of the road. And the squirrel darts out a little bit, you know, out into the street. And then the squirrel kind of darts back to the curb. And I'm thinking, just stay right there where you are, you, you cute little rodent. <laughs> Don't do it. But as I'm getting closer, the squirrel is still dancing back and forth. And then right at the last minute, the squirrel makes a mad dash for my front tire. And it's off to squirrel heaven. That would be an interesting place. But I think, why did you do it? You were over there and things were fine. You could have lived to see another nut. Why did you have to dart out into the road right from my tire? We're just like that squirrel. Sometimes we do knee-jerk reactions and make decisions out of fear or confusion. We know better, but we still make these kind of choices that end up hurting us. And when we get into a pressure situation, sometimes our tendency can be to deceive and to lie. And, and sometimes the crucible of business and relationships and life and feeling that pressure to get ahead instead of trusting in God, we decide to keep God roped off where he belongs. And we end up making compromises in our Christian walk. Sometimes you students, you're in class or you're at the lunch table and you hear somebody talking bad or gossiping about someone else or, or tell a joke that's inappropriate and you are forced to make a decision as well. Will you stand up for what is right and Christ-like? Or will you just laugh in order to be like everybody else? Will you hide or camouflage your faith because you're afraid of what others might think of you? David was afraid. He was afraid of Saul but instead of doing the right thing and going to somewhere he would be safe, he runs to Gath. Do you remember who was from Gath? Goliath. Did David really think that he was going to be able to anonymously slip into the hometown of Goliath? David was the future king of Israel and a celebrity and nothing he did was under the radar. And the Philistines say, see him and say, hey, is that David? Yeah, that's the guy who took out my, my brother and my cousin. And what's he doing? He's trying to hide something under his robe. What is that? It looks like a sword. Hey, is that Goliath's sword? Man, that guy has some guts coming in here. Did he really think that no one would notice? And the servants of the king of Gath grab David and bring him before the king, King Ashish. In the little superscription, which is that little descriptive statement right before, right as Psalm 34 begins, we see the king referred to as 
Ahimelech. This would have been just a generic title for all of the kings, all of the rulers of the Philistines, similar to the term Pharaoh as a title for Egyptian kings. And the servants say, David is here. You know the one who has that famous song written about him? Saul has slain his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. That ten thousand number, that's talking about us. And we have him right now. And David hears all of this that is being said about him, and he becomes afraid. He's already afraid because he's running from Saul, his own king, and now he's in an even more dangerous situation at the hands of the Philistines. So what does David do? Does he trust God like he did with the giant Goliath and say in 1 Samuel 17, 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. No, he doesn't say that. It says in 1 Samuel 21, 12, that David took these words to heart and greatly feared King Ashish. The enemy tries to attack us with thoughts of fear, and sometimes those thoughts set up camp in our hearts, and they consume us, and they possibly might lead to harmful behaviors that are contrary to God's best for our lives. It was sad to read on Monday about the passing of one of the greatest baseball players from the last 30 years, Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn played his career with the San Diego Padres. And I was reading an article this past week that said Tony was motivated not by a desire to be the very best, but he was motivated by fear. Fear of failure. This pressure he put on himself to succeed and his fear of failure drove him to work harder and practice harder. But it also led to an addiction. An addiction to chewing tobacco. That's how he dealt with that fear. And that addiction led to cancer of the salivary gland and his eventual death on Monday at the young age of 54. We all experience fear at times. Maybe fear of death, fear of the future, fear related to uncertainty of health or a job or finances. I often struggle with the fear of inadequacy and thinking that the task ahead is too big. I struggled with that this morning. And I thought of that great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who had to walk up this big winding staircase up to his pulpit, which overlooked the 5,000 people in his church in London. And each step he took up that winding staircase up to the pulpit, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
When we are fearful, we must look to God and trust in his spirit to do that in which we are incapable of doing in our own flesh. Before stepping up here this morning, I needed to literally get down on my knees and pray. Father, in my weakness, give me more strength. In my fear, give me more faith. And that's what we see here in Psalm 34. David struggled with fear, but God gave him more faith. And we see in verses 1 through 10 in Psalm 34 that when we face fear, the Lord hears. David was afraid of what his enemies might do to him. And he should have responded like he did with Goliath and say, I've got God on my side, bring it on. But no, he does something very strange. 1 Samuel 21.13 says, David disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down his beard. What happened to David? As meteoric was his rise to glory, David is now free-falling to new depths with this behavior, acting like a crazy person by scratching at the door and foaming at the mouth. A snapshot of this moment would not have been something that David's mother would have been proudly showing off at the family reunion. Would you look at this? This is the photo of our son David drooling into his beard. He's teething all over again. And would you look at that writing, scribbling on the door? Our son is so gifted. But as crazy as this plan sounded, it worked. King Ashish takes one look at David and realizes that David didn't pose any real threat or danger to him, and he is set free. That's why Psalm 34 begins with words of praise for God's rescue. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. From this story in 1 Samuel, it didn't seem like David cried out to God, but rather tried to fake his way out of the situation. So what really happened? Did David look to God for help? Or did he trust in his own deceptive ways? I think the answer is both. But it's clear from this psalm, Psalm 34, that David eventually turned to God. And his prayers and his worship helped silence his fears. And this is where we can turn as well to the Lord in prayer and in worship. We can memorize verses and recall his word that will encourage us and lift us up when fear grips us. We can hold fast to the promises of God like the one in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of love and power and discipline. David turned to God in his time of need. 
Look at those words that David uses to express his worship in those, those first three verses. Bless, praise, rejoice, magnify, exalt. In verse 1, we see the frequency in which, God, in which David turned to God in worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Just as Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, so too when we face fear, we should praise without ceasing. So that's the frequency we should turn to him. Verse 2, we see the focus of our praise. David says, my soul will boast in the Lord, magnify the Lord with me. David doesn't focus on the experience here in the psalm or the act of deliverance, but rather he focuses on the deliverer, God himself. So how does David realize what he did was wrong? How does he turn things around and respond in worship? I think we find the answer to that, to that question in another psalm. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 56, in that little superscription, right as Psalm 56 starts, we see that this psalm was written during this same circumstance when David is, is captured by the Philistines. Psalm, 53, psalm 56 3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I've put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? David came to his senses when he realized that his problem was that he was fearing man and what others could do to him instead of trusting in God. Verse 4 of Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all his fears, from all my fears. God rescued David from fear when David recognized his need for God. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Not only does God act on our behalf, and save. But we read in verse 7 that the Lord camps out around those who fear him and come, and he comes to their rescue. David is speaking of fear here, but this is a totally different kind of fear than that desperate, paralyzing fear that got David into trouble. But this is a holy reverence and awe directed at God. This is how David got back on track. By exchanging his fear of man to a holy fear and reverence and awe of God. When we face fear, the Lord hears. And then we see in the second half of this psalm that when we face fear, the Lord is near. Have you ever gone somewhere that you shouldn't have gone with someone that you shouldn't have been with to do something 
that you shouldn't have been doing. That's David. He should have known better than to seek refuge with his enemies. And he realizes his mistake. And he says in verse 8, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in God instead. David ran to a foreign land, far from the tabernacle, far from the Ark of the Covenant, far from fellowship with other believers. David probably felt like he was far from God. But God was, was still near. When we face fear, the Lord is near. God is especially close when troubles come. And when we walk through those valleys of life, we can know that God is always there right beside us. David felt far from safe. And at that moment, he probably didn't feel much like a man after God's own heart. He probably felt like a man far from God's heart. This great warrior who was meant to lead and carry out the word written out by the hand of God now finds him scratching and scribbling out nonsense on the doors of the gate. This anointed man who was meant to be a wise king destined to wear the crown now finds that perhaps a straitjacket might be a better fit. This rightful king who is meant to enunciate truth is now a blubbering, drooling mess of a man, a mockery of the man that God intended him to be. David failed to remember the most frequent command in all of Scripture, fear not. What did, Mo, what did, what did Moses uh, tell Joshua when handing off those reins of leadership in, in Deuteronomy 31, 23? Be strong and courageous. Moses wasn't going to be there anymore for Joshua and the people when they entered the promised land. So God reminds Joshua again three more times. Be strong and courageous. When Nehemiah was trying to rebuild, rebuild the walls around uh, Jerusalem, enemies conspired against him, and the people become afraid. But Nehemiah says in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4, When I saw their fear, I spoke, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. The king of Gath takes one look at David, in 1 Samuel 21, 14, and says, no way this is the same guy who took down Goliath. Why did you even bother bringing this madman to me? Can't you see that I'm already surrounded by a full lineup of crazies? I don't need another one coming off the bench. Get him out of here. What a low point for David. If you were to ask David, what's your most embarrassing moment? This would have been up there. But David is just like us. We are often brought to low places in life where the only place we have left to turn is up. We are weak. We are vulnerable. We are fearful. But it's at those moments 
where we must turn to God to find our strength in him, the God who hears and the God who is near. A common theme that you are going to see throughout this six-week series is this idea that David was a man after God's own heart. It did not mean that David was perfect because he wasn't. He messes up big time. But he was called a man after God's own heart because as we see in 1 Kings 3 and 1 Kings 15, that David walked before God in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart. His heart was wholly devoted to the Lord. And minus some big exceptions and some big missteps, David did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He overcame his fear with faith. He turned a fear of man to a holy reverence and awe for God. This whole incident broke David. But he realizes in Psalm 34, 19, that God is near to the brokenhearted. I know that some of you are sitting out here this morning with a broken heart. I know it because I, I've talked to you. I've, I've seen the emotion. I've seen the brokenness. And you might be questioning God and asking, why is this happening to me? Maybe your brokenness comes from a, a broken relationship or, or suffering in your life or someone close to you. And you've been brought to that low place. And perhaps you see a picture of yourself in your suffering that you wouldn't want others to see. This photo wouldn't make the cover album, the, the cover photo of any photo album. But no one else would know it by looking at you. You might have put up a facade that says, I'm doing great. But inside you're hurting and you're broken. God is near to you. And we read in Psalm 34, 15, that God's ears and his eyes are attentive to the cries of a righteous heart. It's hard not to fear. But when we do fear, like David, we must exchange that fear of man and the circumstances of this world to a holy, reverent worship of our holy and awesome God. For we serve a God who hears, and we serve a God who is near. That final verse of Psalm 34, verse 22, is a beautiful one. For it says, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God not only saves us from the temporary trials and tribulations of this world, but he saves us from our sins. I like these little dog tags that, that the kids were wearing all week long at, at VBS. And on the back 
of the dog tag. It has this verse from 1 John 4.10. God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Until we see our need for Jesus, we will continue to rely on our own strength and rely on our own goodness, our own good works, our own cunning intellect. And we think that all those things will be enough. But then we will not see ourselves as David did in Psalm 34, 6, as a poor man or woman crying out to God in need of him to save us. Our sin should drive us straight to the cross where Jesus died for that sin. He died for us. He took our punishment upon himself so that we might live not just eternally in heaven, but abundantly here on earth. And if we place our faith, if we place our trust in Christ alone, God will flip through his family album and he will stop on that page when he sees you, his beloved child. And that will bring him unimaginable joy and a smile to his heart to know that you are in his family and that you are forever his. Let's pray. Father God, we would agree with David when he wrote in Psalm 34, 19, that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Life is hard. Life is a struggle. And many have to walk through valleys with broken hearts. But we can take courage reading the second half of that verse, which says, But you, Lord, deliver us out of them all. Father, we know that, that when we fear, we know that you hear us. And we know that you are near to us. For this, we worship you. We bless you at all times. And we boast not in our own strength or in our own flesh, but we boast in you, Lord Jesus. We magnify you and exalt your name for you are good and you are holy. And Father, we do thank you again for the great week that we had here at VBS. Thank you for our young people. We praise you that, that many placed their faith in your son. Many more came to know you more. Lord, we thank you for transformed hearts and lives. Bless each child here and their families. Lord, thank you for all of the staff and the volunteers who poured their lives into these young people this past week. We know, Lord, it's, it's all for you. We give you the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have something in your life that we can pray about, we have prayer partners down front right here that would love to speak with you and pray with you at this time. Have a great day.